Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, and welcome to another episode of uh, Real Life Rescues. I'm here, uh, Raphael. And Dovia Maisel here with you again. And we are uh, going to talk today about uh, not being Rambos. Don't be Rambo. Um, what the sort of, uh, I guess that, that means is don't try and take on too much uh, all by yourself. Uh, there's a lot of times out there where in, we're in emergency situations, you know, the adrenaline's flowing. We see a patient that really needs help uh, and, and we rush in. And sort of forget our protocols and safety procedures. Um, sometimes, you know, we need we need to also be aware of uh, not injuring ourselves, uh, both in a scene safety situation, but also in basic situations of if you have a patient who's a little bit on the heavier side, then don't try and lift them by yourself, like I did on Friday. <laughs> um, Good for you, Rafael. Although I I have to say I did lift them twice before, uh, and it was a very small area, but still, uh, wait for backup. Um, cause you don't want to injure yourself, right? You know, we are doing this job because, uh, we enjoy it because it's something we want to do. We want to help people. Um, and if you injure yourself then you're not going to be able to, to do your job and you're not doing anyone any favors by doing that. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think, you know, when we're talking about personal safety and I'm talking about, you know, we all know safety first on everything. Uh, we see it on every protocol, on every call on everything, but do we really, um, pay attention? And this can go by the way we drive to the incident. This can be the way we respond. This can be the way we walk into the house. This could be the way we lift a patient or or anything else on the scene. And, and, and maybe we'll, you know, like pull it down to earth a little because I think each and every one of us in EMS has experienced these situations. Some of them were like, um, whoops, why didn't I think of that? Um, and 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 at the end of the day, we we all we all want to do good, but we all want to get home safe as well. Right, because that's really important. Is is we don't want to be another patient for another responder have to come and have to deal with, um, and that's because that's unfortunate. Yeah, that with one team going out, and you need a second one. So, um, I guess my my take home is is never really be afraid to call for backup. If you ever have a scene where it's a little too intense, either from a safety uh, you know situation or from a situation where. Uh, you need help uh, at the scene from either other responders or people uh, around you who can provide assistance, whether it's lifting a patient or getting a proper diagnosis um, or even assessing a scene properly. Uh, don't be afraid to call for backup. There's no there's no shame in that. You and know what I haven't said in a long time, Rafael? Let's take it back a notch. Let's take it back a notch. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. I remember. But that's already when you get to the call. Let's start by getting the call and getting dispatched. That's when that adrenaline rush kicks in. Well, obviously, um, even for the dinosaurs in the group, um, there are still those calls. You're not, just, not, you're, many, not many, but still those calls that will get your adrenaline rush. It could be that MCI. It could be that um, extreme trauma. Something that even for the most experienced and oldest dinosaurs, it will make our heart move a little faster. <laughs> And for the rookies, for sure. And and I think that's where it's important to talk about the moment we get that call. The moment we get the call comes over the radio, the the the, the computer or whatever it is. 
Um, uh, th- that adrenaline rush starts, and what do we do? So the rookies immediately will slam on the gas and 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 start going. And kick on the lights and sirens. Kick on the lights and sirens and 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 blaze through the streets. I think it's always good. I mean, looking at my oh my god, over thirty years. Oh my god, it's over thirty years. Um, yeah, well, um, it's a long and storied careers. No shame yeah. in that. Though. No shame in that. <laughs> no, you know, it's like, well, we won't go into the my theories about life. And as you get older, life becomes more like a roll of toilet paper. The faster, the closer you get to the end, the faster, faster it runs goes. out. For sure. but we all know that in EMS. So, so um, it really is about taking that extra second. Uh, yeah, we all have GPS in our in our vehicles and we have directions but maybe that's where we lose a little bit because in the past we need to open up the map book and plan our, our route to the call and taking those extra few seconds to look at the map and make sort of a plan in your head creates the ability to to uh, um, take down that level of adrenaline by one notch and, and, and know how to respond better on the way and be a safer driver and how to respond to changes as we have, whether it's a change in route or, or whatever it is. So I try to take to this day, um, we don't have that map. It automatically pops up. The call pops up on your screen. Boom, it's in ways. You're on the way. You don't need to think. But then again, I take those extra few seconds to, you know, plan my plan my route, even if I see it on the screen. And I actually thought you were going somewhere else completely with that toilet paper roll uh, analogy. Well, go ahead, take, take it away. We can make it. We can, it, say we it can on, make it we, on we a public say, podcast. We can say anything on our podcast here. We're in the world of EMS. We have no limits. We've uh, seen it all and done it all. That's true, in, including involving toilet and paper cleaned on it all. and cleaned it all. Um, that's where I thought you were going with that, but I'm, I'm glad it was. It's a really nice analogy you gave out there with uh, you know getting faster as you go on. Still covered in certain things as you go, as we know in EMS. Um, but yeah, definitely. And, and I think we can, um, by planning our routes, like you we were saying, in, in terms of traveling and getting to the scene, sort of also goes back to what you were talking about before with, uh, with the house of God quote of, of, uh, oh, there the are first, so many of them. The first pulse you have to check when you're going for cardiac arrest is your own. Um, it, uh, it goes back to, of course, you know, in, in Israel and in our organization, we, we use a lot of motorcycles. We have a thousand motorcycles that are running around. Ambucycles. Ambucycles, as we call them. Ambulance motorcycles. Uh, I happen to drive one myself, and it's definitely necessary to take a minute, take a deep breath before you go out, uh, because, you know, ambucycles, as well as motorcycles, are, are dangerous vehicles, and, and people don't always see us on the roads. Even if we have lights and sirens, we're small, we're, we're nimble, we go through traffic in a lot of ways that most people aren't expecting in order to get to the call faster. We know it pr- plenty well from the rigs we drive. You can be lights and sirens, but now we're day and age with the cars, windows closed, AC going, music going, podcasts, whatever it is, nobody has their attention on the road, not to mention everybody's texting. Right. And when they all should be listening to our podcast, that's what they should be yeah. doing in their cars, for sure. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely something we need to take road safety into account before we even get to a scene. Uh, unfortunately, we've had uh, some accidents here uh, as well amongst our organization. Some? Every other day, unfortunately, there's some sort of accident with, with motorcycles. Just statistically, they're going out to 10 calls a day. Um, do the math. Um, it really is. Well, not all of them, but we're talking about thousands of calls every day. These vehicles on the road going through congested areas, traffic. Most of the accidents, thankfully, are really... Uh, uh, more plastic 
fractures, but then again, plenty of broken legs, broken arms. And unfortunately, um, a few years back, uh, we lost a, 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 a first responder of ours that was on a motorcycle, father of three kids, um, that was on the way to a call. And with his misfortune, uh, there was oil on the road and, and he slipped. He was actually going, I think it was maybe 20 miles per hour. He slipped and uh, to his unfortunate luck, there was an oncoming car and he unfortunately did not survive this accident. And that was a wake up call for all of us in the organization to understand the importance of road safety, especially with the ambu cycles. Uh, which spun us into years of uh, advanced training on yep. these vehicles, and and advanced training we we go through. Uh, obviously, every driver has to have their own license ahead of time and their own training. But as an organization, every driver now has to it's protocol. Every driver has to take advanced training at least once a year, uh, sometimes more often if uh, there's seen that there's a need for it for that driver specifically. I myself took my uh, my advanced driver training about last month, and um, it was it was eye opening. It was very intense uh in terms of what we were asked to do um even in very small spaces we were asked to drive directly behind another ambicycle driver or right next to another ambicycle driver and do a very complex course um so the training is intense and as soon as i got out of that class uh as what happened before the year previous as well um i i felt different on the road i felt a lot more conscientious of, of vehicles near me as well as i felt a lot more able to handle my own vehicle um, so it definitely works, but more aware of the dangers. I think it, I think it goes a lot like with para, EMTs versus paramedic training is when you, you do EMT training, you're sure you know everything. And when you complete the paramedic training, you understand you don't know anything, but you still think you're God. <laughs> well, excuse me. <laughs> we are. Okay. <laughs> um, but on a serious note, so, so it really is important to uh, uh, break that habit of a uh, call coming in and slamming on the gas or pulling the handle of the motorcycle and and and, and flooring it, as we say. Uh, take that extra second, plan where we're going, give us that time to, to take into consideration all sorts of factors that can happen on the way and obviously at the call. And same goes for ambulances as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's no different. Nobody cares today. Nobody moves for you. Nobody clears the way. We're actually bothering them, unfortunately, with the patient that we have or the patient that we're going to. And that's why it's so important to emphasize the safety. I mean, I personally, um, back in 2007, um, was uh, involved in, in a bad accident. Um, this was, I remember, it was, uh, it was the night shift. It was uh, actually, I was finishing, it was on the 14th hour of a 16-hour stretch. Um, after my, I think it was 11th or 12th call already, we were transporting. I was sitting in the back as a medic uh, with my patient, which was belted into her uh, stretcher with her rapid AFib. We were transporting to, to the hospital. And my ambulance driver that was half asleep uh, did not stop before the red light. And as he crossed the intersection, back in the day, our ambulances didn't have the capability to belt yourself in while treating a patient. So I was not belted in. And when we went through that red light, um, all I heard was a yell, impact. And a second later, I saw the whole cabinet of the ambulance flying towards me. The ambulance rolled over. Um, we were 
whole thing fell apart. I just remember I did not lose consciousness at all at any point, but it was like really like a slow-mo action movie happening in front of my eyes. When I crawled out, um, I, I literally looked around. The the My colleague medic that was with me was knocked unconscious. Um, the patient was lying upside down, hung from her bed. <laughs> Nothing happened to her at all. She just could not understand why she was hanging from the ceiling of the ambulance. Um, That's kind of a miracle. <laughs> I, 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 I busted my knee and four, and four ribs and actually intubated the patient's daughter, which was sitting in the front seat. I found myself literally like in an action movie. She was pulled out of the front seat and I intubated her in the rain um, on the ground there outside of the ambulance um, because she suffered a, a, a severe head injury. And, and wow, if, if I, if I thought I cared about safety before that, it took me more than half a year of rehab, uh, to, to get back on the street. And, and, and since then I, I joined the, the turtle club, the turtle club of the ALS. We called it the ALS turtle club, which didn't care at all, no matter what the call was. We do not speed like crazy. We do not cut those red lights like crazy. And, and, and we teach the generations after us the importance of this. So that's just my personal experience from, from my takeaway from, from that accident that I went through. And that is what I try to teach the younger generation of, of EMTs and paramedics is that no matter what the patient has, no matter what the call is, it's not your problem. You're there to help. You cannot become part of the problem. And that's why safety is so important. Right. Um, one of the things I always tell myself is don't don't be the accident. Like when you're responding to an accident, what you're saying is don't become part of the problem and and then require additional teams to come and treat you. And that's part of the idea. We have to, we have to like you said, take it back a notch, take a breath, lower that adrenaline level uh, in order to make sure that we get to the scene uh, or come back from the scene with the patient uh, in a safe manner, uh, in a way where everyone gets where they need to go so that we can all make it home the next night after our shift. So now we finally made it to the scene. We finally made it safe. to the scene. We made it to the scene we safe. We hope it's safe. It's now we need to make safe. sure the scene is safe. Right. And I always say, and this once again goes back to dinosaur, dinosaurs and rookies maybe, but if you get this scene and something doesn't look right, it's not right. It's not right, and 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 I think we spoke about identification of uh, you know carbon monoxide poisoning and and other things that aren't very visual, but be aware, be aware of what's going on in the scene, the hazards on the scene. Uh, safety on your checklist is not just there for to check off and move on. It really is to be aware. Make sure the scene is safe, and the scene can be at home. The scene can be on the road, especially on roadsides, especially um, on highways. We got to think three times about where we position the vehicle we're showing up in, whether it's an ambulance, an ambucycle. We got to think of the safety of the scene for ourselves, for the patients. Um, and, and, and we're all familiar, all too familiar of all of these roadside accidents, the secondary roadside accidents. We see it with first responders of police cars, of ambulances, of, of cars that the police have not yet closed off the road because they might not be on scene yet. So we got to think very well how we position ourselves in order to get ourselves out of harm's way. If a patient needs extrication out of a car, 
if a patient needs CPR on the roadside, whatever it is, let's think, not dive into that tunnel vision of the call itself, but see the bigger picture and think two steps ahead. We don't know when that squad car will show up to secure the scene. We don't know when that squad car will come to close off the road. We need to think about ourselves, about our team members, about our fellow first responders on scene. And of course, the patients. Because if we get injured, then we're not there helping them either. So yeah, there's a we had an interesting call recently, actually, this, uh, this past weekend. Uh, we had a major car accident right outside the town I live and went out to the highway. Um, I get on the highway and it's two cars that at, there's no divider on the highway by us. It's sort of just yellow line in the middle of the road. And the... Typical country road. Typical country road. And these two cars, you know, one tried to pass another car in its lane, went over to the other side of the road, and an oncoming car came and hit it, middle of the night. Um, we got there, and there's two cars that hit each other and were in opposite directions of where they had started. They spun around each other, uh, still in the middle of the road. And there's cars coming in both directions, which are not stopping um, in any way, shape, or form. And, and we had a police car on scene, and they were a little bit... Out of sorts, also they they were. I actually told one of the officers, "Why don't you go stop the traffic behind us so that we can treat the patient?" Um, and they said, "Oh, yeah, that's a good idea." <laughs> um, well, yeah. they're also taken a little bit our, our, aback by the by the our gravity cops of the scene. Here sometimes don't really think out of the box. It's happened to me that I was down on the ground um, placing a, a a patient on a backboard, and and a bumper of a car bumps my butt, and I'm like, "Whoa!" What the hell? And the cop is standing right there like, stop the cars. We're putting a patient on a stretcher here. Do You don't see that? <laughs> yeah. But it's us. we also have to make sure that we're communicating with the people on the scene so that they know uh, what exactly we need from them at that moment. Um, so when I told the officer, he said, yeah, okay, and he went and stopped traffic and made sure that the scene itself was safe at that point. Um, and that's something which we need to take into account as well. We we then processed the, the patient. The whole thing, thankfully, went very, very quickly. Uh, within less than five minutes, the patient was already, uh, had an IV line in, had intubation, and was on a stretcher out to the, on a hospital on the way out. A second ambulance was coming in because they heard the call and they weren't or next town over and they came in. By the time they came, everyone else was gone. <laughs> the scene was empty. Um, so, but it's, it's something which we were able to do quickly because everyone worked together very well and we were all making sure that the other person was safe in that scene. Um, but not all the scenes are like that, unfortunately. Uh, we've had lots of scenes that weren't. Uh, and even scenes where people are working together. Um, unfortunately, I've even uh, I've been privy to a point where a member of uh, my team uh, was injured, uh, sustained a back injury, doing something he shouldn't have done. Uh, when I, he We had a patient. There were about six responders in the room. Um, they had a patient that was... Uh, 500 pounds. Not quite. Not, <laughs> it was only about 250, which, which is even surprising for everybody because it seemed... You know, it seemed like a little bit of hefty person, not terrible. And I asked him, I said, you're okay doing the lift? And he said, yeah. Um, and, you know, I trusted him. So I took the gear and he ended up being the fourth person picking up the patient. There were four people picking up the patient. It wasn't, a, you know, a gung-ho where it took himself. But found out afterwards, he threw out his back on that scene, on that call. Uh, and he told me later that he has a, a history of, of back injuries. I said... Why? Beautiful. That's really using your brain. I said, why are you even lifting a patient in the first place? But I think I think that goes back to, to you know, uh, personal safety is, you know, when we run up those stairs with all the gear, we're climbing up four flights. 
we get in out of breath and then take a patient that gets our, so I always say it's, it's, it's coming into the house out of breath, leaving the house out of back, um, with the, with these <laughs> patients. So it, it really is important to, to think. And again, we're in this long term, right? We're, we're doing shift after shift, uh, call after call, you know, helping this one person is important, but we have to think of all the people down the road that we want to help, that we want to be there for, um, cause that's our job. Uh, for those of you who are employed in this, for us uh, volunteers, it's, it's our volunteering. It's what we want to do. And we want to be there for them. And if we're not, if we injure ourselves because we're, we're being a little gung-ho in this in this one call, then we're actually doing a disservice to all the future ones which we're not able to help and to ourselves and to our families. Well, just remember, like Eddie Murphy said in the movie Holy Man, I think it was, just remember, if you don't attack your heart, your heart won't attack you. <laughs> And the same thing goes for someone's back as <laughs> for well. For the back. Definitely true. So, so it's important. We also, we also actually um, try, in the, within the training process, we try to also teach people how to lift patients correctly. And like you say, Rafael, is, is don't be gun-ho. Stretcher, if you, get, if you have four people, use four people. Um, don't, and don't, don't be afraid don't to go call for backup. Don't go military style and throw the patient over your back. And, and, and run out unless of course the building is burning and that's the only thing that will save, save this patient. Then, then we do these things. It's like the calls that we get to of, uh, of MVAs, um, of a car burning. And, and there's always that, that, uh, internal dilemma. Um, when you see a person that's trapped inside and the front of the car is burning and, and you immediately, you jump in, you jump in, you open the door, you try, you know, you cut the seat belt, you try to pull them out, you do whatever it is. Um, because, because we don't think in these situations. And, and you know what? It's good that we don't think in these situations. Because um, if we thought, we wouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are those patients who, are, who I'm willing to lose my back on if, if, if they end up not losing their life. So, so you know, every rule has a, a, an, an exclusion of, of the rule. I don't know, Rafael, what's the word for that? I'm blanking on it right now, too. No, oh, good. Uh, for exception. You. Exception. Everyone else is exception. Yeah. You caught me in an off moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Catching you in an off um, moment or following you. You're king of improv. Come on. Um, but you also have to remember don't be afraid to call for backup. Uh, if you don't have the four people at the scene and you need help, assistance with that lift, don't be afraid to call for whether it's another rig or if you're working together with uh, with firefighters, ask them to come and assist and help. Get them to bring officers. the la- get them to bring the ladder. <laughs> you could do that too. <laughs> Uh, or even even bystanders, if they're bystanders around, get them, put them to work, and see if they want to help. If they are going to help lift. Well, it's great. quite it's quite common when we come. Uh, you know, you come a team of two, and the patient is 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 four hundred pounds, and it's a four story lift. Then we'll definitely knock on neighbors' doors. If there isn't a nearby rig for backup assistance, we will not think twice and knock on neighbors' doors. Well, maybe also it's a it's a cultural thing in Israel. Is there's a big sense of community and and. And neighbors know each other in most cases, um, and and will be happy to help as well. So we have a little bit of the opposite problem: if you have to peel people off of the scene in order to get there and treat the patient, and they're not always doing good things; they're just sometimes standing no, around. But they're that, always that, worried. And, Rafael, that's a different thing. That's I because know. every Israeli knows best. Every Israeli will tell you how to do it. <laughs> There's certainly something to that as well. Um, like well, that's, said, well, that's part of scene safety. You know, what do you do in the MVA that you have all these people all around giving their ideas and bothering you and telling you how to do your job? What do you do? You take the IV bag 
Give it to one. Hold it for dear life. You are now saving this person's life. And from then on, that person will be standing there. This IV may not be connected to anyone yet, but he is holding that IV and he is not bothering you anymore. <laughs> I, I actually have to say I've done that. <laughs> another, it's the oldest trick in the book. All right. Another good tactic is uh, is get one of them the most vocal and say, okay, you're in charge of making sure everybody else here is off my back. <laughs> um, that too, that too. That also works very wonderful. Um, all right, so I think I think you've gotten the message of, um, of don't be too gung-ho and definitely uh, use the resources that are around you. Uh, Dovi, Dovi mentioned improvisation. So improvise, improvise in the scene if you need to uh, in order to find ways to safely uh, treat your patient um, and of course, approaching the scene and making sure the scene's safe and and everything involved with that, but also treating your patient in a safe manner that's what, safe for them and safe for you, and getting them back out to the rig. Uh, and everything we talked about before about getting to the scene applies coming back from the scene, but more so because now you have an extra person who's in your care uh, that you have to make sure stays safe as well, um, and we don't want them hanging upside down from their seatbelts uh, in like you know what happened in your condition. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, we want to make sure they get to where they need to go to the hospital or to an urgent care clinic wherever you're taking them uh, safely as well um, because like like you said earlier in the episode the end, end of the day we all want to make it back to our families to our homes in a safe and healthy manner and I, I know I've mentioned this in many previous episodes and that is our emotional safety as well um, if we treated a, a, a traumatic incident, um, or that we feel um, we were exposed to a traumatic incident, maybe visually, or even the story behind it, be it an infant, be it or any of these uh, emotionally straining cases. Then Su- suicide or... Yeah. yeah, things that at the end of the day, we, we're all people. We all go home to our families at the end of the day, and, and we got to keep our, our, our mental safety and emotional safety intact so we make sure... To, to activate our internal psychotrauma team, to, to debrief, to vent, and, and, and move on, to know how to package things away in the, right, in the right way so that we can be better on the next call as well. For sure. And if you do need help with that, definitely talk to your provider about uh, the resources that are available to you. Um, a lot of times, uh, most providers have in-house resources. Uh, some use external resources in order to keep uh, identity and... and certain uh, personal matters uh, under wraps and and more private. Um, but definitely there are resources that are out there and available to you. Use them. Um, I myself have used them on, on many occasions. Uh, and, and one of the greatest things I think about our unit, the fact that it's integrated in with our volunteer system, is that um, it's not it doesn't wait for the volunteer to uh, go and try and access the resources. Here, we actually are proactive about it. We go ahead and call um, the actual volunteer who is at the scene um, we'll do a mandatory debrief of scenes uh, if there are too traumatic and a number of responders were there. Um, and every every volunteer who's at a traumatic call will receive uh, a, a phone call from one of our psychotrauma and crisis response unit internal providers in order to assess their condition uh, and see if they need any help or additional resources that are on there. Um, I so, think it's- So don't be Rambo. Um, Definitely and, don't be and, Rambo. And keep doing the amazing work you guys are doing out there. Yeah, and uh, I think it's all the time we have for today. So thanks for listening, and thanks for doing what you're doing. And we'll see you next time. Bye.